0: Let me remind you where we are in this season, in this series on Sunday mornings, talking about the disciple way, journeying with Jesus. We're talking about what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. We're not talking about discipleship as a theory. We're talking about being a disciple as a relationship with Jesus. We're not talking about a lot of do's and don'ts. We're talking about the words of Jesus to his disciples as he was inviting them to follow him, as he was encouraging them to stay following him. And we're talking about how that applies to us. And we've been in some places that have been quite challenging. We've talked about the cross and being a disciple, what that means. Last week, we felt we needed a bit of uplift, so we were in John chapter 14, looking at the comfort of being a disciple. What are the promises that God, that Jesus gives us to be with us forever and to be living in us for an eternity. And so we looked at the comfort of a disciple. This morning, we're going back hardcore again. Can't give you too much comfort. You'll all get complacent. We're talking about the demands of discipleship and another passage that most Bibles will list as the cost of discipleship. And we're in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 35. I'll read that in a minute. And our premise is this, and we've said this before, that salvation, what does Paul call it? The free gift of God. We can't do anything to earn our salvation. You can't act your way into the kingdom of God. You can't be a do-gooder enough to earn God's love. It's God's grace and his mercy. But there is a condition about being a disciple. And so often Jesus says, if, if you follow me, if you are my disciple. And we're going to look at some of those demands this morning, but let's read this passage. If you've got a Bible with you, we'll come to some of the verses later, but we'll just leave it on that screen for the moment for you to to follow if you have your Bible on your phone or your your iPad or whatever, or if you've got a paper Bible there. And remember, we do have Bibles at the side. And just an aside, I always think in this discipleship journey, the more we can open a Bible together, the better it is. And so I'd encourage you to make a habit of having some type of Bible there in front of you. So here we are. I'm reading from the NIV, and my passage is entitled The Cost of Being a Disciple. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off. And will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Wow. I don't know when you first encountered people who really lived a genuine lifestyle of following Jesus. I grew up in a church in Kingston, in Surrey. talked about this before. Amanda grew up in the same church. And a a great social church. I wouldn't be here today, but for that place. But it wasn't a particularly strong spiritual church. I had a conversion experience through a a youth ministry attached to the church, the Boys Brigade. And I went off to university thinking I was going to be a minister. And I I did eventually get there, but it was like 35 years later. But I went off thinking I was going to be a minister in that denomination. And I got to university And I realized that there were people my own age there, and their Christian experience, their Christian life was different league to anything I'd ever seen or was living. So they were doing things like reading the Bible and believing it. They were praying and seeing answered prayer. They were coming from all the nations of the world, and different languages and cultures came together together under Jesus. They seemed to be more interested in other people and their well-being and welfare than they were about themselves. They seemed to be able to hold boundaries about behaviour that was appropriate or inappropriate. They knew not to step over that line. And I guess I'm saying all those things and I'm just reminding myself, actually, I didn't match up to hardly any of that. But I called myself a Christian. And there was this sort of fight, this debate that went on for most of my university years of having a foot in both camps, of believing in God, getting involved in the local church to a certain extent, doing some Christian things, but really living a life of of self-centred, fun, partying, I never took drugs, never smoked, did most of the rest. Let's leave it at that. And it wasn't really till I came back from three years at university that I thought, I've got a decision to make here. Not a decision to say, am I a Christian or not? But a decision to say, am I really going to be serious about living a life that follows Jesus or not. And so I had to make some lifestyle choices. There's lots of things inside that began to change and lots of junk and mess that got cleaned out. But I had to manifest that in some of the ways that I was leading my life. So some things had to stop, some other things had to start, some priorities had to shift, some things had to be put down, some other things had to be picked up. And so I think it was that journey for me that really put into perspective that there's a world of difference saying I'm a Christian or a world of difference from saying I go to church than actually saying I'm a disciple of Jesus. Now, I don't, I'm not saying we freak people out and we're going around saying, hey, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but you know what I mean. That those things aren't necessarily the same, the same thing. And that we can give our lives to Christ, be saved, have an eternal security, but then live the rest of our lives quite car- carnally and quite selfishly As if we haven't been saved. And so we're at this passage again, where over several incidences, Jesus talks about the cost that is required. Slight difference here, he's talking to large crowds of people. Most of the time, over the last few weeks, we've been hearing Jesus' words to the disciples. Here, he's talking to the large crowd. Now, that could be the wider group of followers. It could be just a crowd attracted to him because of his miracles, whatever. What we do know is the disciples, the 12, they'd have been listening in intently to what Jesus is saying. And he's talking about true discipleship putting him first as the priority in life and he's making it abundantly clear what type of commitment is needed and so he starts by saying some quite painful and difficult words about family if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother his wife and children his brothers and sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple and he follows that by saying, and we won't talk much about verse 27 because we, talked to, we did a whole sermon about being people of the cross, the disciples and the cross. Go back to listen to that if you, if you missed it. But we read some similar verses to this in our Bible study on Thursday in, in the Big Welcome. And it makes some tough reading. Is Jesus really saying to us, you've got to hate your mother and father? your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Well, he's using a technique there that in Hebrew language was quite often used about extremes. In order to show the extreme of the love, you would emphasize it by using the word hate. So, so it's, more, it's better to say, you should love me more than you love your family. You should love me more than any earthly relationships. Your priority is me above anybody else. And we talked a little bit on on Thursday, and that's why we want to do this online Jesus and Family Night on Wednesday, because for some of us, the reality of challenging family life is very real. And Jesus has something to say about that. Now, let's... Let's jump back a little bit. Jesus is not belittling or despising family. Jesus spent 30 years growing up in an earthly family. And there are plenty of times in the Gospels where Jesus chides the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, he he chides them for disgracing family, dishonoring family, exploiting family. So that's the flip side of the coin. But this language language you hear is that Jesus is saying, your devotion should be so 100% to me that it's, it's as if your love for your family equates to hate. So Jesus isn't saying hate your family. He's saying love me more. But some of you know the reality of what it means like to be in a family where your faith sits uneasily because nobody else in the family is following Jesus. You know what it means to be in a family where your faith and trust in Jesus that should bring hope and peace, actually, for the time being, in your family, it's brought discord and disharmony. Not from your own fault, but just as a result of your faith in Jesus. So Jesus is, is, is saying, look, this is the type of commitment that is required. He's using this strong comparison that if we're ever forced to choose in anything, the winner must be Jesus. And we discover, actually, that whenever we put Jesus first, the other things fall into place. So when you really love Jesus with all your heart and all your mind, all your body, all your soul, all your strength, you discover actually you become a better father. You become a better mother. You become a stronger son or daughter or brother or sister or uncle or aunt. That even if those discords and disharmonies and things are going on in family life because of your faith, if you put Jesus first... He will honour you, even in that most difficult of situations. A choice has to be made. And some of us know what it means to make that choice of being faithful to Jesus, and it costs us alienation with a daughter. It costs us dysfunction with a father. It costs us anger from a sibling. Many of you live in that, in that reality right now. And so I know this is such a heartfelt thing for us. That's why, again, I can't emphasize enough that Wednesday night online might be really helpful for you. If you can't get there, if you really don't do online stuff, it will be recorded. So get the opportunity to listen to it or watch it with, with somebody. And I think Jesus is saying, look, no earthly relationship, however precious, can replace the joy and the fulfilment of following me. We've all got precious family relationships, haven't we? We've all got dear ones who we love and are very important to us. And we're not belittling any of that. But we are saying our faith and trust in Jesus rises even above that dependence. And I'm looking around and I know some of you also know the sadness and the loss of family members, of loved ones, of ones who you thought would be with you for this journey and they're no longer here. But because you've placed Jesus above even that loss, you know he will sustain you and strengthen you and carry you through and our benchmark always is the cross enduring jesus enduring the shame the persecution the self-sacrifice for you and for me and jesus is saying look you can live your own life but actually if you do that you'll miss out on the real life with a capital L, that Zoe life that John talks about, that will only come from that place of self-denial, self-sacrifice, putting me first. Oswald Chambers was a great Bible teacher, preacher and writer of the early 20th century. And he wrote this devotional book called My Upmost for His Highest. You might not be able to see the words there. Let me read them for you. He says this, We pay such close attention to our own interests and desires that we stay out of the mire and say, I won't submit, I won't bow or bend. And you don't have to. You can be saved by the skin of your teeth if you like. You can refuse to let God count you as one who is separated to the gospel. Or you can say, I don't care if I am treated like the filth of the world as long as the gospel is proclaimed. The true servant of Jesus Christ is one who is willing to experience martyrdom for the reality of the gospel of God. Wow, he's not pulling any punches there, is he? True servant of Jesus is one who's willing to experience martyrdom for the reality of the gospel of God. Wow. So to get back to this passage, Jesus uses two little word pictures, two little illustrations that will help us. And when I see Jesus telling these stories, I try to have a conversation with him. Keith Warrington, who's an Elim theologian, he has this lovely way when he writes, reads the Bible, he'll, say, he'll, he'll talk out loud, he'll say, Luke, why are you telling us this? What can we learn from this? So he's saying, Jesus, why did you say these words to these people? Is this something you want us to hear today? And so why don't we say that, Jesus, we're going to look at two, these two little stories that you're telling here, and we need some wisdom about this. Would you speak to us, we pray, in your precious name? He tells two little illustrations, and they're talking about this conscious, advanced commitment this decision that we have to make to really be wholehearted in following him. And the first one, it's about building a tower. Verse 28 from Luke 14. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and you aren't able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Have you ever started a project and pretty soon into it you thought, oh, this is a bit more than I expected to be doing. This is more difficult than I assume. There's some heads, some of the, the DIY guys here knowing what I'm talking about. Yeah, I've never been in that situation, don't I? Digging a hole in the garden is about enough for me. When you're involved in a project, whatever it might be, and you go, wow, this is more than I thought it was going to be. This is costing more time, more money, more effort, more energy, more more focus. I never thought it would be like this. I should have considered more before I jumped in to this project. This is what Jesus is talking about here, and he's using this picture of building a tower. It's a man, he's building a tower perhaps to see across his land or to see across the city in which he lives. And he needs to understand the demands, the cost of the project before he starts. Why? Because if it's half finished and he runs out of time and money and energy to do it, he's going to look foolish. People are going to laugh at him and think, that man hasn't got what it takes to finish that project. And Jesus is telling this, I think, to say, look, I want you to follow me and to step into the most incredible life of purpose and fulfillment and freedom that you could ever live. But I don't want you to do it without considering the cost involved. Remember, we talked all the way along that there's a cost. We've talked that the reward is greater than the cost. But nevertheless, we need to remember that there is a cost. And going back to to that time when I was a Christian, but not really following Jesus, I realised for me, some of the cost was to, if you like undisciple myself out of some of my lifestyle habits in order to let Jesus disciple me into some of his lifestyle habits and so there's always a cost to be paid Jesus doesn't want us to jump in without thinking and then go oh this is too hard this is too costly I never expected this I'm going to back out And I would say, over my Christian experience, one of the most difficult things I ever have to face is people who jump into Christianity enthusiastically and then jump out almost as unenthusiastically because they realize they don't want to pay the price. And I look back to some of the times when I've been at my lowest, and it's been close friends who've done that. They've been all in until it gets difficult and then they're all out because they don't want to count the cost. And you might know people like that as well. I'm not talking about them losing their salvation. I'm just talking about them being disobedient to God and stepping away from God's plans and going back to the lifestyle that they're comfortable with and missing out on all that God has for them. And so this first picture is building a tower. The second picture is a very different one. It's about going to war. Not a very pleasant thing to talk about, but remember they were living in the reality of a Roman occupying army. They were living in that whole area of the Middle East where war was common. And kings would go and fight other kings, and their battles, and that land would be taken, land would be given back. That That was the reality Disciples. I had to ask Jesus on more than one occasion, What the heck are you talking about here, Jesus? Give me some help. And most of the biblical scholars look at this passage and they say, It's actually, Jesus is saying this it's better to aim for a peace treaty than it is to fight a battle when you know you're going to lose. How foolish for the army commander who doesn't tally up the troops and marches into battle against a far superior enemy. I think Jesus is saying, look, you you can take God on, but you'll never win. You can lead your own life. You can think you are in charge. And you can have a go at life like that, and many people do. But you're not going to be a winner. You might be a winner for 60, 70, 80 years. You're certainly not going to be a winner into eternity. I think he's saying, look, rather than remaining independent and ignoring me or trying to fight me, isn't it much better to accept the peace offer that I am giving you right now? And I think that's one of the things about living our own life, being a Christian and just doing our own thing or doing it half-heartedly and not really embracing this lifestyle of being a disciple, is that on the short term, that life might look attractive. But actually, on the long term, it's fruitless. And deep down, we never have that sense of peace and God's presence with us until we throw ourselves into that disciple life wholeheartedly. I think he's saying, look, you should be willing to count the cost in saying no. And what are we saying no to? Well, we're saying no to selfishness. We're saying no to us being in charge of our own life. Remember that picture we used early on where in the message paraphrase where Jesus says, I'm in the driving seat. You aren't. For those of you who are drivers... Most likely, you're more comfortable driving your own car than you are being a passenger. But Jesus is saying, look, when you follow me, the disciple way, actually, you're no longer in the driving seat of your own life. I am. I decide where you go, how fast you go, who you go with, what you do when you get there. All those lifestyle decisions are willingly surrendered to me. And some of us are better than that. Some of us, can, we can get down on knees and we can surrender to God and we can say that no to self and that's it done. But most of us have to keep coming back to that place. What's it say, the thing about being a living sacrifice is living things always crawl off the altar. And so this discipleship journey, it should hit home for those of you who are still in the early stages of your walk with Jesus, but it should hit home to the rest of us as well who've been around for years and years and years. Because occasionally we need to go back to that place just to recalibrate and say, yeah, Jesus, we're, we're, we're full on. We're all about following you. It's about being willing to give up everything. Everything. And Jesus points this picture of a disciple who gives up in midstream because the going is too tough and says it's like salt which has lost its taste. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Jesus calls us to be salt and light. And here he's saying, don't run the risk of bailing out halfway through because things are too tough and you lose your saltiness. You don't become that disciple who attracts other people to that discipleship journey. You don't, be, you don't no more become the person who adds those words, that salty presence of Jesus into into situations Jesus is saying you've got to be prepared to give up everything to follow me meaning I've got to give up my car got to give up my house got to give up my jewellery got to give up my bank account got to give up my job probably not but it means you should be prepared to if ever the situation arrives for one or more of those things for you to declare that Jesus is more important than that. I think the two key things today in our, in our life is that we've been discipled in the world we live in, in, in the mantra of individualism, where it's all about me, and Jesus, Jesus says it's not all about you, it's all about me, and it's all about us. And we've also been discipled, schooled in the world of consumerism, where so much is about things and stuff. And I've got as much things and stuff as the next person. In fact, my wife would tell me I've probably got more things and stuff than the next person, depends who the next person is. But we live in a world where we define ourselves so often by the things that we can gain, the things that we can give, the things that we can grab hold of. And so much about the Christian journey is defined by the things that we can give away, the things that we can surrender, the things we can say we can live without because God is more important than those things. Sometimes our attitude to church can even fit into those two things. I'm happy to come and sit in a seat on my own Don't ask me to talk to anybody. Don't ask me to turn up midweek and get personal. Don't ask me to show love and value and support for somebody else. I've got enough problems of my own, thank you very much. So we can live our Christian life sometimes in church individually rather than as family, rather than as community. Or we can say, right, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? I'm going to bring my... 21st century consumer mentality to church. So I'm going to only go to church if it's worth it for me, if it's a I-can-get situation. And Jesus says, perversely, the best way you can get from following me is by giving. That's why we make a big emphasis on here in the, in the life of the church of serving, of volunteering, of being part of the community together. And we discover on this discipleship journey that there's one person we can never outgive, and that is God Himself. You can give and give and give of your time, of your money, of your talents, whatever it is, and you will never outgive what God is giving to you. It's impossible to do that. But it takes that determination to say, that's the type of life I want to live. And so often, the test comes, I think, in three areas of life. One, we're talking about this morning, family, the reality, the people we live with, the people we've grown up with, the people that are closest to us. How are we going to handle that situation? But in terms of giving, and we've said this before, it's about our time and about our money. You want to have ever. Ever just take a little bit of a mental checklist. How am I doing following Jesus? Just think, think about how much time am I putting into the kingdom of God. How much money am I putting into the kingdom of God? I'm not saying those things to make people feel guilty or condemn people, but I am saying them to convict us all of being people who give more into God's kingdom because God has given infinitely into you. We're almost done. If we are following Jesus, then this idea of being his follower, a disciple, sitting at his feet, letting the dust of the rabbi cover us because we're so close to him, if that's the reality, then that's our primary That's our primary focus, over and above anything else. So how would you define yourself? You might define yourself as a mum or a dad, a husband, a wife. You might define yourself by your job. You might define yourself by your age or experience. You might define yourself by your nationality. You might define yourself in a, a million and one different ways. And all of those ways might be valid. But they're invalid if you treasure them above journeying with Jesus. When you put Jesus first, I say it again, those things have a habit of falling into the right place. We can't be casual. We can't be half-hearted. There is a demand on us as disciples of Jesus. There is a cost to pay. But I say it again, it is Worth everything that we give. Next week, Pastor Ben is going to be talking about the commissioning of a disciple. What does Jesus invite us into? What's the task? What's the mission? What's the purpose that he wants us to be co-workers in? But we're going to finish today by a quote, another quote from a man called David Watson, an Anglican uh, vicar, wrote a book called, uh, I Believe in, in Discipleship. And again, I'll read it because the words are a little bit small. He says this. Christians in the Western world have largely neglected what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The vast majority of Western Christians are church members, pew fillers, hymn singers, sermon tasters, Bible readers, even born-again believers or spirit-filled charismatics, but not true disciples of Christ. Jesus. If we were willing to learn the meaning of real discipleship and actually to become disciples, the church in the West would be transformed and the resultant impact on society would be staggering. This is no idle claim. It happened in the first century when a handful of timid disciples began in the power of the Spirit, the greatest spiritual revolution the world has ever known. Even the mighty Roman Empire yielded within three centuries to the power of the gospel of Christ. Can I say my purpose this morning hasn't been to condemn us, hasn't been to take us on a guilt trip, but it has been to convict each of us that we've got more to give, that that the demands of Jesus are to be taken seriously on every area of our life. And when we do that, we can be world beaters, world changers. Let's stand together. We're going to worship. But before we do that, let's just have a moment of, of conviction. This is a quiet moment between you and the Lord right now. If you haven't already done it, why don't you ask yourself that? Ask Jesus that question that I was saying earlier. Jesus, what are you trying to tell us? Jesus, what are you trying to tell me today? Is there some encouragement I should take from what I've just heard? Is there some area area of life that you want me to deal with? As I pick up more and more of what it means to follow you, Are there some things that you're asking me to lay down in my life that aren't helpful for that discipleship journey? How could Jesus make you more salty this morning? How could Jesus make you more shiny this morning? And so Jesus, we say that we are aware of the cost this morning. We know there are demands on us. We can't live our way by being good people into the kingdom of God once we've given given our life to you and you have saved us we want to respond to that love that incredible gift that you've given us we want to respond with our lives with our dedication with our energy with our focus with every breath we know there will be times on this journey when we will stumble when we will fall but we pray there will be a brother or sister alongside us to lift us back up keep us going on the journey for those of us where there's a tenderness this morning as we speak about family we just pray that the light of Christ might flood our family that the peaceful presence of Jesus might be manifest through us into our family life Would you give us endurance and perseverance as we count the cost in family life of following you? And Again, Lord, as we think what it means to respond to the demands of being a disciple, to count the cost, we say again, we know that it is worth it. And we want to wholeheartedly throw ourselves into a lifestyle that honours you, that cares for others, that builds your church on into eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.